This is Adapted with Anna and Sam. We love books and we love movies. Warning, here be spoilers. to Adapted with Anna and Sam. I'm Anna. And I'm Sam. In this podcast, we talk about a book, we talk about a movie or TV show based on that book, we play some fun games, and we encourage you to read and watch along with us. This episode, it's the reason we fell in love with Daniel Day-Lewis, The Last of the Mohicans by James Fenimore Cooper, and the 1992 adaptation directed by Michael Mann. Oh, it's so true. I know. This is the only reason. Not the only reason. I mean, he's a fantastic actor, but Daniel Day-Lewis is just... It is not the only reason, but it is the primary. It's... Yes. I'm trying to think of a good example. It's like actor Daniel Day-Lewis. There's many reasons to love him. Oh, wait, no. (gasps) That's not a good example. (laughs) Sam, what's your quick take? Um, Uncas has my heart for now forever. He is... Uncas. I could sigh and cry over him forever. What's yours? Um, so Michael Mann said he didn't think that The Last of the Mohicans, quote, was a very good book. He's not wrong. And I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I, having talked to some of my friends who do occasionally listen to the podcast, some of them are like, well, I only listen when I've read it or when I've seen it. And I wish I could just tell those people, like, for this one, don't read it. Don't read it. Just don't. You know how we always say... Um, well, one of our the kind of standard questions has become, would you recommend they read the book or the movie first? I would recommend you watch the movie, period. And that's it. End of, <laughs> end of story. Done. So I think we're on the same page yes. as the book, Sam. Yeah, we are. I honestly, like, we were supposed to record this episode last week, but I put off doing my summary because I didn't want to do it because I just didn't like the I'm book. I'm kind of surprised. There's a lot of stuff to talk about. There's oodles of material. It is, but I didn't want to sit down and write a summary about it. Oh, oh, see. <sighs> I mean, I get that. I do. Let's just talk about how much we hate it. No That's about fair. That's fair. But should we just do our six degrees so we yeah. can... Yeah. Then... I've actually... I'm, I've got some stuff in my six degrees I'm quite proud of. Oh. Very good. Very good. Do you want to yeah. go first then? I guess I will, because I said that now and I've <laughs> set this expectation and yes. now if I don't live up to it. Ooh. Okay, I'm going to stop talking about it. Okay. So, uh, last episode was Dracula. Now yes. we're getting to Last of the Mohicans. So Winona Ryder was in a truly, truly terrible and offensive film that no one should see called Great Balls of Fire. It was the Jerry Lewis story. <gasps> oh, is that the one with, um, crap, who played Anthony? Yeah. Was it's... Anthony? Oh, no. Who um, played Jerry Lewis? It was a Quaid. Dennis Quaid. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and she played his cousin slash teenage wife. Oh, so many. Like, I don't... I've actually seen it. It's terrible. Really? Yeah, I've not I, seen it. I used to have a lot more time in my hands to watch bad movies. That's fair. Anyways, it's it doesn't age well. Don't watch it. That's also fair. But also in Great Balls of Fire is character actor Stephen Tobolowsky, also known as Needle Nose Ned from Groundhog Day, <laughs> with Bill Murray, who was in... The Life Aquatic, Aquatic with, with Steve Zissou. With Owen Wilson, who was in Zoolander with Ben Stiller, who was in Mystery Men with Wes Studi, who, of course, is in Last of the Mohicans. Oh, my God. Mystery Men is, like, 
like one of my like secret favorites. I don't think there's anything secret about it. It's just one of your favorites. And <laughs> it's, there's it's, nothing wrong with that. It's it's not a good movie. I'm not going to say it's like a good movie, but it's just so much fun. It's got a lot of charm. It does have a lot of charm and it's got a fantastic cast. It has a fantastic cast. And it's cast. got Eddie Izzard as trying to like do a 70s American accent. Oh, everyone just is so and committed just, to a very yes, campy campy yes. movie. I mean, Greg Kinnear and um Oh, why can't I think of his name right now? The Australian actor who plays the main villain in that. Oh, Jeffrey Rush. Jeffrey Rush. Yes. I mean, just a lot of great actors who just are having a lot of fun yes. doing very, very campy performances. Yes, it's amazing. Jeanine Garofalo. I adore her bowler. I'm not going to lie. It's great. It's, yeah. Yep. She's awesome. Yes. So. Yes. Nothing to feel bad about there. No. Sam, what's your six degrees? All right. So my six degrees starts off with Gary Oldman, mm-hmm. who was in Dracula, of course, as Dracula. As the old man. Yep. Yep. Uh, he was in The Fifth Element with Mila Jovovich. I was <laughs> you, like... You almost didn't get it out. It just almost tumbled. Yep. <laughs> Mila Jovovich was in The Three Musketeers with Luke Evans, another Dracula. Oh, I see what you're doing here. I think he was the only one I managed to get in. Okay. I tried like five different ones and then I kept getting stuck. <laughs> but so many actors have played Dracula. I know. Ugh. I actually had Gerard Butler in here at some point, but no, I took it out. Gary Butler. Yeah, right. Gary Butler. Callback. The Garys. Uh, Luke Evans was in Immortals with Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill was in Stardust, hint, hint, with Sienna <gasps> oh. Miller. Sienna Miller was in Alfie with Jude Law. And Jude Law was in Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows with Jared Harris, who wow. was in The Last of the Mohicans. Yes, he is. Well done, Sam. I will Thank drink you. to that. Thank you very Let's much. Let's our Last of the Mojitos. Last of the Mojitos. I like when we manage to do themed drinks. Right. It's so much like fun. I've been a bad hostess and haven't had enough of them. But eh, you know, they're not appropriate for every episode. Yeah. And honestly, I only did it because Steven reminded me. <laughs> we were going grocery shopping. He's like, don't you need to get fixings for the drinks for the podcast? And I'm like, oh, Thank yeah. you, Steven. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you, Steven. <laughs> okay. Well, Sam, would you like to give us your hard one hard fought book report <laughs> sure let All me right. just let me just get into this <clears throat> excuse me published in 1826 the last of the mohicans is the second book in james fenimore cooper's the leather stocking tales pentology it is set in 1757 during the french and indian war which pitched the british ag- the british against the french for control of the world just kidding it's really just for control of the american continent well 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 because this is actually the, the seven, years seven years war, war in europe so right. you know but, that's two continents right but they he didn't know that at the time or he did that's not what it was known as at the time yeah it's fine. yeah um but as cooper puts it for possession of a country that neither was destined to retain oh destiny right uh and contrary to how the name sounds both sides had native american tribes supporting them yeah it turns out not all indians are just like it's not like one lump group no yeah shocking i know mm-hmm. but um according to wikipedia this novel is one of the most popular English language novels since its publication and is frequently assigned reading in American literature classes. Which is funny because I actually never read it in any of my American literature classes. I was going to actually ask you this because you have a major in, <laughs> in, in English. Ameri- in liter- was it yeah. literature or English? It was English. Well, yeah, it was like um, overall literature, but I took a lot of literature classes. I remember Some American. Yeah. Did you have to read any James Fenimore Cooper? Nope. You managed to avoid I it. I did. Wow. Probably because most of the classes I took were British literature, and I only had to take, like, one American literature class. Oh, well. 
Good for you. Right? See, that's how you get around it. You just read the just good literature. Read. <laughs> just don't take any books, any classes where this book yep. is on the syllabus. Yep. Exactly. That's our advice to you, <laughs> young people. Young people. Um, it has been adapted into a movie at least 10 times, a number of made-for-TV movies slash series, comics, and yes, an opera. <gasps> because an why opera! not? <laughs> There's radio plays, too. Yeah. Um, we need to actually make sure that every book we do has not been adapted to an opera, otherwise it doesn't count. Oh, is that our new criteria? Yes. Uh, we should have looked at that before we picked out our season three. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Yep. Um, however, I do want to mention that this no- novel is a little problematic for a number of reasons. Yeah, we should get that out of the way. Um, number one uh, of which is its depiction of Native Americans. Um, Cooper does admire some of the beliefs and rituals of the people of these peoples, um, but there's still the very strong belief in the superiority of the white race, um, and it still dominates so much of the narrative. Um, and in a way. The novel seeks to justify, all right, maybe justify is not quite the wrong word, the right word, but it definitely downplays the destruction of the native tribes of the East by the settlers and the expansion. Yeah, it's like, oh, aren't some, some of these Native Americans are so nice and isn't it a shame? Yeah. And I, I wondered reading this, and obviously you and I are not experts on Correct. any Native American cultures, you know, I think back to a lot of things that I was exposed to as a kid and as a young person and... I wouldn't necessarily necessarily have even thought about some of these things until I was older and kind of more aware of the world. But Correct. like, like the fact that not all Native American tribes have the same. It's not a homogenous culture. There's right. a lot of variation. It's it'd be like saying that all of Europe is one culture. Right. Exactly. Um, and it, James Fenimore Cooper's perspective is very much this is a white person's perspective, and I I wasn't able to dig too deep into like what kind of research he did. Right. But I get the impression it, not no. a lot. And the from what I understand is he based a lot of his writing on um, other source material that was all white written. And so it's right. all from that perspective. And, um, you know, you can definitely see that in the narrative and like with the character of Hawkeye especially mm-hmm. like he's brothers with Chingachuk and um, Uncas but he still is very much like well he's very racist against the the uh, other tribes yeah the other tribes those are oh right. they're they're dirty devils and they wouldn't put anything past them right but i mean then but there's still like like some things he says that you know kind of still puts the 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 white race yeah, in the forefront. Well, there's a lot of even the even the tribes or the the specific American Indians that American Indian characters that Cooper seems to like. There's still a certain amount of exoticism. Yes, it's like oh, they're they're so they're they're the kind of the noble savage, right? So th- yes, yes, very problematic. Exactly, and like he because of the because of his not non research, like he conflates a lot of the different tribes, and so people think people just get confused because there's like he basically kind of mashes a bunch together Mm -hmm. um but so i definitely recommend that if you do read the book you also spend some time reading um works by natives on their own culture and like kind of doing a little bit of background balance it out a little bit yeah (laughs) yeah Um, But anyways, okay, so I just wanted to get that out there and recognize that, you know, it's, it needs, it's, it's, it needs a lot of work. I feel like 
the last couple of episodes, like every single episode we've had to kind of address, yes. hey, here's something problematic about this text that was written yes. decades ago, or the author who, right, you know, it doesn't come through in the book, but you should know this person exactly has some issues. I feel like we've had to do that a lot. Yeah. And then, you know, and I think one of the... One of the hard things about doing this kind of podcast is that reason. It's like, you know, it's we love what we love and we want to be able to talk about it. But at the same time, it's like we can't just ignore that kind of thing. Right. And so that would be doing a disservice to our listeners. Exactly. And so I appreciate that we have the opportunity to kind of talk about these things, but also kind of be like, look, you know, we understand like some people may not enjoy this. And like this is this is a problem for people. And we want yeah. to be make we want to make sure that people are aware of that kind of thing. Well, and I think if you are going to enjoy Cooper, which someone must still enjoy Cooper, apparently, clearly, oh. you and I did not enjoy no. his writing. Very Mark much. Twain did not either, which is no. amazing. But you know what? Mark Twain was kind of a bitch too. Yeah, so. he was. Um, if you are going to to read the book, and if you do enjoy Cooper, you just have to take those things with a grain of salt. He mm-hmm. was not an authority. Mm-mm. He was not coming from the perspective of someone who had who had knowledge of who had firsthand knowledge and so just you you have to know that there's a lot of bias in his writing yes. and just you kind of just have to accept that that's there yes and you have to be willing like you have to read it and be willing to recognize it because um if you don't then you can take what he says and believe it and it's i just i'm not comfortable with that no yeah because i mean and this is, I found this so frustrating, and I'm sorry, I feel like we've, I've taken you on such a tangent okay. here. I found it very frustrating. There are certain scenes where something horrible would happen or something really outlandish would happen, and I'd go, wait, really? Yeah, exactly. And it kind of took me out, out a little bit, and I'm like, I can't trust that right. that actually could happen or would happen, but right. maybe it could have. And Yeah. And there's there's such a, it's such a weird skewed view of people who are when you other them yes you know yeah and like the like with especially with dracula and again this book Mm. the other is so strong and the other is so is portrayed so incredibly differently yes from the white people and it's just it's right right people is the default yeah i just said right you did yeah that mojito is strong. <laughs> White people's perspective is the default, yep. and anything other than that is is different, and and that's not okay. No, it's definitely not okay. Okay, we got that out of the way. We got that away. All right, so now, now let's just talk about how bad the book is. Oh my god! So, pardon my summary. There's a lot of sarcasm in here, and oh, I gloss over a I lot. I can take it. I gloss over a lot. I will interrupt when there's something I feel you've missed that's important. That's I've only got like three things. Okay. Uh, so major characters include Nathaniel Natty Bumpo, a scout, his companions Chingachcook and Uncas, the Mohicans of the title, Colonel Monroe and his daughters Cora and Alice, Major Duncan Hayward, David Gamet, a psalmodist. All he sings and teaches are the psalms. Yes. Yes. Don't even get me started. And Magua. Magua. Or West Duty. Magua. Man. Right. He is a... Uh, love to hate him. Yeah. Love to love him. I mean, one of the... One of the things I did enjoy about the book Magua was that he was an orator. And he could convince mm-hmm. basically anybody of anything. He was dangerous. Right? He... Whew. Yeah. And that's not necessarily the case in the movie. 
No, he has a lot fewer lines. Than yeah. I mean, which is unfair to West Studi he's because he's got like, a beautiful voice. He does, but they decided to go th- that Magua is much more like stoic. That's fair. Magua looks pissed all the he time. He does. Right? He totally does. <laughs> he's, uh, he's got a lot of, you know. Yeah, we'll get there. Okay. Um, first. So the setting is like is the Lake George area of New York, which Hawkeye refers to as the Horican, mostly because Cooper didn't like the name Lake George and the French name was too complicated. Yeah, Cooper, whatever. Whatever. Um, however, Cooper's descriptions of the setting are incredibly detailed and beautiful and have become a major draw of the story for readers. Sure. Okay. That's you know, not me, but whatever. Um, I love reading <laughs> descriptions of scenery. I was reading this on the train, and it was the early morning train, and I was falling asleep. I and then I was reading it on the train home, did that. and I was falling asleep. So uh, take that what take that as you will. Uh, the story kicks off after a few pages of beginning exposition, with the journey of Alice and Cora Monroe from Fort Edward to Fort William Henry, where their father, Colonel Monroe, is doing battle against the French general Montcalm. Montcalm. <laughs> I love oh, him in the movie. I don't I'm know gonna, why. I'm going to do offensive French accents. Okay. I've decided. Okay. Cool. Forewarning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Cora and Alice are guided by Major Duncan Hayward, who is actually already established in the Americas and in this war, and Magua, who had previously been an enemy of their father's but is now a runner for the British Army. Mm-hmm. Like Yar. Uh, Magua leads this small group down a separate hidden trail from You've that- You've forgotten that a very important person who's on in the group with them. Oh, no, David Gamet. Yeah. I okay. add him. Don't okay. worry. Yeah. Um, I probably added him in the wrong area, but that's okay. Um, I'm not going to read the description of David Gamet because I feel like everybody should come to that fresh. And That is actually one of the good things. The good, One of the better written sections of the book yes. is the dis- physical description of, of David uh, yeah. Gamet. So I feel like at least read that section. Mm-hmm. Um, Magua leads a small group down a separate hidden trail from that taken by the rest of the marching troops, and it is along this shortcut that they pick up David Gamet, a really annoying and unnecessary character. Seriously, he adds nothing to this story. He is the comic relief. I didn't find him funny. Well, he's I, ridiculous. <laughs> that is true. That is true. He is ridiculous. <laughs> I have thoughts about David <laughs> um, And they also meet up with Hawkeye, Chingachgook, and Uncas. Soon they are betrayed by Magua after, of course, he has aroused the suspicion of Hawkeye and Hayward, and he runs off to gather his Huron forces. Yep. Good times. Hawkeye, Chingachgook, and Uncas hide themselves and the others in a hidden cave behind a waterfall on a small island in a river. And no... This is not where I think you... It is, this is not the river. This is not that scene. They... 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 The movie's very different. Yes. Very different. Right. Uh, after a battle with Magua and his Hurons, with ammo exhausted, Hawkeye, Chingachgook, and Uncas sneak away to gather reinforcements from Colonel Monroe. While Hawkeye doesn't tell Cora to stay alive no matter what occurs, he does tell her how to mark their trail so he can find them later on. I think it's important to note that Hawkeye is not um, young. No, he's a, he's of an age with Chingachgook yeah, and they're, not Uncas. They are peers. The, yes. And he sees Uncas as like, he thinks he's like, like Uncas' second father. Exactly. This is actually a very progressive family unit. It is. Uncas is two dads. It's more like Deet's family in um, Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance, than it is. Yes. Yes. And thank you for throwing in the Dark Crystal reference. I take it yeah. you finally watched Dark I Crystal? I did. It's so it's good. It's so good. Oh my god, everybody needs to watch that and talk to me later. Yeah. Also, you can talk to me if you want to. 
It's just really good. It is amazing. The, the artistry, the poetry oh, is... It's beautiful. And they and left it, adds it to the world. It adds to the world, and they left so much story open mm-hmm. to add to build the world even more, and still stay true to the original movie. At the time of this recording, there has been no second season. Anything about a second season? But nope. I am crossing my fingers and toes and holding out hope because it was beautiful. Ugh, it was absolutely gorgeous. Yes. Ugh, and that open the closing scenes just broke me. Oh my god! I'm not gonna spoil anything, but it broke me. And the voice talent in that. Yes. That oh is a God. good one for Six Degrees. <laughs> I mean, you don't even have to. Just everyone's no. in it. It's like, it's seriously like, if you're British. Or American. Or American. You're in it. There's a lot more British than Americans. Yeah, but like, Bill Hader and Andy Samberg are in it. That's true. And like, they're hilarious. Yes, they are. They're amazing. They're also kind of a My Two Dads thing going yes. on. Yes. <laughs> That's so true. Although, technically, they're two halves of the same person, so it's not. It's good. totally fine. It makes sense, same though. thing. It works. It does. Yeah. It really does. Okay, so we should probably not talk about that anymore. But also, all right, just one more thing. <laughs> they do an opera. They do an opera. All right, see? All right. It's, it's There you go. It was a callback. Okay. Yep, I like it. Carry, continuing it, on. It works. It works. Okay. I'm almost done. There, I told you, I gloss, gloss over a lot. That's fine. It's not a good book. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, so the remaining party is captured by Magua and the Hurons, and Magua reveals his motivations for attacking the party. He has become an alcoholic, thanks to his, French, his friends the French, resulting in his banishment from the Hurons. He then joined the Mohawks and the British, where Colonel Monroe dared, dared to whip him for being drunk and disorderly. So, I mean, Colonel Monroe, I feel like, could have not whipped him? Typical alcoholic. He, but, typical addict. He is blaming other people yes. for his problems. But it's not quite the, uh, it's not to the degree that it is in the movie. Yeah. Um, uh, Magua, the scenes against Magua are uh, not nearly as great in the no, book. No, 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 no. Uh, Magua then proposes that Cora marry him, but she refuses in the strongest way possible. And so Magua then convinces his Huron compatriots to torture and kill their four British captives. However, Cora, Alice, Hayward, and Gamut are rescued by Hawkeye, Chingachgook, and Uncas, who managed to get the group to Fort William Henry and Colonel Monroe. And I just want to talk about how, in that when Chingachgook, Uncas, and Hawkeye rescue them, yes, there's like a huge long sequence. Like it's like seven pages long, and it describes what Chingachgook is doing, is what Uncas is doing, what Hawkeye is doing, what. Hayward is doing, and how Cora, like, accidentally gets freed and tries to rescue Alice, who passes out, which she does constantly. Uh huh. There is no mention of David at all. Like, I had to like flip back through. I was like, wait, is David no, in this he's scene? Just, he's just a waste <laughs> he of space. Does nothing. And it's like Cooper kind of forgot. Like, oh, what is right. David? Cooper forgot David was there. Seriously, I re- I reiterate, why is he a character in this book? Um, I stand by that. Yeah, he's not mentioned for pages and pages. But also... I forgot he was there until all of a sudden he's like, oh, wait, they think he's a crazy person. Yeah, James Fenimore Cooper forgot he was there, too. But also, there are several moments in this book that I was like, this is Looney Tunes. So the description of Magua and Chingachuk when they're fighting... Chingachuk when they're fighting on the rock. And it's described as, like, there's, like, a whirl of dust. And you couldn't tell her, like, one of the men and one of the Whirling dervishes. And I was totally picturing um, the... um, Tasmanian devil. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that 
is one of several Looney Tunes moments. Yes, in this book. <laughs> um, I didn't write this in my notes, but I do want to. I do want to uh, make sure people know that in the book, Hayward professes his love for Alice yes. to Colonel Monroe and receives permission after this diatribe about Hayward not loving Cora because she's a mixed race child, which Duncan didn't even know. Which he didn't know. That um, wasn't why. No, and then so Colonel Monroe is like, oh. My bad. Sure, you can court Alice. No problem, bro. Uh, okay. Since we're going down this <laughs> sidebar here, <laughs> why does Cooper feel he needs to add in this whole thing about Cora having, like, a trace of... And it seems to be like sh- her mother had a trace. Like yes. Her mother was, like, quarter or She eight. was very, very far descended from... So, like, it's this is not like Africans, a... It's not like... Yeah. Co- and clearly, Cora is not presenting as having um, no she's i mean she's described as dark and her skin is described as being the color of rich blood so she's swarthy she's swarthy yeah but clearly she's passing she i mean the but the dichot like the different like the economy between alice and cora is cora's dark and alice is light sure but that describes me and my sisters and yes. we all have the same parents i'm pretty sure well so Oh, you know my parents listen to this podcast. Mine don't. Well, let's make fun of your parents then. (laughs) And they're making you a bastard. So, I lost my train of thought. I'm not saying it's there's anything wrong with Cora having mixed heritage, but like it's mentioned once and then never comes up again. Yep. So, so why is that in there? I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of inconsistencies in the story. <laughs> you don't say. It's like Fenimore Cooper, and I read this somewhere, that he was actually ill as he was writing this. And so there were some parts where he dictated it to his wife. And so I feel like he lost his chain of thought a lot. And I've was never just had that experience. Plucking things out of the air and then didn't bother to edit the crap out of it. <laughs> it's like, should you should you read this again before you submit it? From- no, no, it's fine. It's just fine. send it to the publisher. Yeah, it's eighteen twenty six. No one's <sighs> very picky right now. No, and it was a big HBO problem. won't be around for one hundred and fifty years. There's it was a popular novel in the time, so it clearly worked out for him. I mean, like it it it's fascinating to think like that. There's something about her having this heritage that informs her story or somehow presents that that Cora isn't exotic. She isn't different. She's just an American heroine. But again, it's never mentioned again. No. No. It never comes up again. Nope. It does and I, not. I hate, I fear that the reason he put it in there is so it would be less uncomfortable for white readers that, that she's the one who dies. That she's, no, that she and Uncas have a love connection. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. <sighs> yeah. Anyways, yep. that was my, like, distraction number 272. Continue. <laughs> it's fine. Um, okay. Fort William Henry eventually falls to the French and General Montcalm. Hawkeye is the captured messenger in the book, unlike some random nameless dude. Uh, never even see. Never, never even sees. And clearly he survives being captured by the French, unlike the guy in the movie. The British General Webb refuses to send help to Colonel Monroe, so Monroe agrees to Montcalm's terms of surrender. As the British are leaving the fort, however, they are attacked and massacred by Magua and his Hurons. The massacre scene was really disturbing. It really was. It was unnecessary. Yeah. I felt that way, too. Yeah. It was really long. It was really long. And that was another another section where I was like, that was one of the sections where I was reading it, and I was like, this doesn't feel... No, no. 
Honestly, like, this book could have been half the length and still kept most of the story. Yes. Clearly. I'm just, yeah. Magua captures Korra and Alice, and they are followed by Gamut, because he remembered he was in the story! No! This is why Gamut was in the story. Just to follow them. Yeah. Um, and Hawkeye, Ching- Chingachgook, Uncas, Hayward, and Colonel Monroe all survive and take off in pursuit of Korra and Alice. But it takes them a little time. Like, they leave yes. and they come back. Yes, and then they find the trail again, and then they take off. Mm-hmm. And they do, like, this whole thing where, like, well, um, Mohicans have to take their time, and so they, like, spend a night just, like, sitting and thinking, and then they head out. Yeah. It's weird. It's, it's weird. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff is weird. And a lot of stuff happens now. Uh, Alice is being held by the Hurons, and Cora by the Lenape slash Delaware. There are two amazing bits, however. Go on. Uh, Gamut is considered crazy by the natives, and so given the okay to just wander free. I love. I about... love that the the, the the Native American cultures have a thing where if someone is is mentally inca- incapacitated mm-hmm. or otherwise considered odd, mm-hmm. they are sacred and you can't hurt them. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, this guy is yeah, he's a little nutso. Well, just, just let, let him, him go. Do, let him be. Yep. Uh, and they assume that David is. <laughs> I mean, they're Which not wrong. Yeah. And then also, Hawkeye is parading around in a bear suit. Thank you. Looney bear Tunes moment suit. number two. The, whenever anyone asks me about the book, because no one I've talked to actually has read the book, I say, Why well, would they? there's a scene where a character dis- disguises oh, no, himself just one as a scene. bear, and everyone falls for it. It's a quarter of the freaking book. <laughs> he fools Everyone. Well, okay, so some people think that he is just the medicine man wearing the... So <laughs> Hawkeye beats up the medicine man, steals his bear costume, ties him up. <sighs> and then everyone thinks, oh, that's the medicine man in the bear costume. Except for the white men who are like, oh my god, it's, it's a, a bear. real bear. Hey, that bear is following me. Should I be worried? Duncan's <laughs> like, oh, hey, these guys aren't reacting to the bear. It must be a friendly bear. That's not how bears work. Uh, no, it's not. It's not at all. <laughs> it's it's um it's yeah. a strange and did you notice that there was a point there were two points when people got confused about beavers? Yeah. So they first they come across the beaver dams and he's like, Oh, who what village is this? And then when he sees a, all the heads pop out, it's like, Oh, those are beavers. And then later on, Chingachkook is disguised as a beaver. As a beaver. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. That's just I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think human beings. I this are was that... this was stretching my belief a little bit. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. But it, it felt like Bugs Bunny. Yes, dressing up as a girl and Elmer Fudd being like, "Oh, isn't she pretty?" Right. It's like mm, you, that's it's a, a rabbit. That's a rabbit, dude. Still a rabbit. You have a weird fetish that you're not being honest yeah. about. Yep. Oh God. <laughs> I just. It just gets crazier, kids. So there's a whole section in the book when they're in first the Huron village and then the Lenape village. And this is the part where I was like, I just yeah. strongly doubt Cooper actually did any real nope. research into what this life was like. Yeah. Uh, but before we get there, Hayward masquerades as a French medicine man and fails in his one duty to rescue Alice. Yep. Well, he fails. He had one job to do. Well, two, because he's also asked to heal the wife of the Huron chief and he fails at that because she dies. Yeah, but when he sees her, he's like, nah, she can't be healed. She'll leave. But he didn't tell that to anybody. Well, no, because the Hurons don't matter. They're the bad guys. Right? Ugh. Anyway. 
Uh, anyway, the story ends with Korra and Ankus dying as well as Magua. Ankus, who has been... You really are skipping stuff. Oh my god, yeah. I, I think we should talk about how the fact that Ankus um, and the Delawares that have aligned themselves with him slaughter most of the Oh no, I, get, I do that. Oh, okay. Alright. I wasn't done. Well, you skipped to the end. I'm sorry, Sam. I'm not angry at you. I'm angry at James Dunmore <laughs> Cooper. Go on. Uncas, who has been, who has also been captured at this point, is revealed to to be a Mohican, which is a close relation relation of the Lenape slash Delaware, and he convinces them to fight the Hurons. In the ensuing battle, the Hurons are defeated, aka destroyed, and utterly decimated. Right, but not before Magua escapes with Korra and a small group of his own followers. Uncas pursues them. Uh, but then Korra is in love with Korra. Right? Uh, Korra is then killed by Huron. Uncas is killed by Magua, and Mon- Magua tries to leap to safety, only to be shot at by Hawkeye and fall to his death. Survivors include Ching- Chingachgook, now truly the last of Mohicans, Hawkeye, Alice, Colonel Monroe, and David Frickin' Gamut. David Gamut lives to sing another day, and that's the end. And that's the end of this stupid, stupid book. So bad. It's worth noting that Cooper wrote these all out of order. Yes. So he like he wrote like prequels and sequels like as that occurred to him. So this is this was the second one written, but it's the third chronologically, or is that the reverse? I have no third. idea. I think it's the second one written and the third chronologically. So like he wrote one, then he went back and wrote like, and here's what yeah. Hawkeye was like as a young man. And then he wrote a couple. He did write one where Hawkeye meets. Um, Alice and Hayward's children. children. Oh, nice. When Hawkeye's probably like 2,000 years old because yeah. he's and, already old in this book. But Hawkeye is, I mean, too old to be considered a love interest for any of the young ladies in the book. Right. So that's what Hayward and Uncas are for. And yeah. honestly, like, I was cheering on Uncas the entire time because he's just as cool in the book as he is in the movie. I will agree with you. Uncas in the book is great. He's awesome. And he is amazing. And it's, I will talk about this in a, when, we, when I tell you, when I talk about the movie, but like, they cut out everything, just about everything in the Huron village and everything about the yep. Delaware village. And I think that was the right choice, except it gives, means that Uncas doesn't have a lot to do. No. So and a he whole is lot of Uncas's role is gone. gone. I mean, I still loved him in the movie, clearly. He's great, but he has very few lines. Very few lines. And he's just, he's, he's just set dressing sometimes. And very, they're not complaining. But... Very pretty set dressing. Uh, so anyways, do you want to tell us about the movie then? <laughs> there's one, but no, there's one thing about the book I have to complain about. There are so, it, okay, so first of all, we've already talked about how Cooper is offensive to Native people, Ugh. but can we talk about Cooper's crimes against women? Yes. The Monroe sisters are described as weak, fragile, delicate, infantile, and Alice will not stop passing out. Oh my God, Alice is the worst. Every time there's a problem so of any kind, Alice faints. Yeah. Yep. Like, what? And this was considered desirable. It's like, all the men are like, oh, Alice is right? so attractive. And like, she's like a child. Everyone she's was asleep like Cora. all the time. And like, Cora stood up for herself and she like. Cora was cool. Mm-hmm. Cora was like, she had grace under fire. Yep. She was steady and steadfast and devoted. Like, Cora was definitely a more. <sighs> I mean, they were both still very feminine, and they kept being referred to as weak and, and fragile, which pissed me off. But at least Cora was, like, Bruh. conscious half the yep. time. So, for some reason, they, they decided to make the characters a little different in the movie. Huh. I wonder why. So, let's talk about that movie, shall hmm. we? Yes, let's. So, The Last of the Mohicans was released in 1992, directed by Michael Mann. 
It is, as we mentioned, one of numerous adaptations. And this version uh, actually credits the screenplay for the 1936 version. Yes. Uh, as being a, a source material. Uh, the 1936 version stars Randolph Scott. And Who's when I read dreamy. that, all I could think about was that scene in um, Blazing Saddles. I was, Who do you think this is? Randolph Scott? And they all go, Randolph Scott! <laughs> So that was a fun little moment for me. Oh, man. Um, the 1936 version, I have not seen. Mm-mm. But in that one, Hawkeye is a romantic lead. But again, it's Alice that he's yes. linked to. Everybody's all about Alice. I don't understand it. Well, because we came to the 1992 version first. So Cora just makes sense. She does. But yeah, Cora and Ungus in the book. I really, That's the really, romance. Yeah. I, heart, I really shipped the two of them yeah. so bad. Even though I knew it was coming. Me too. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about... Um, so, yeah, so the 1936 version is definitely a strong influence to this, but still lots of difference between the two films. Oh, for sure. Um, I think it was kind of like they, again, they picked the choice bits. They cherry-picked, which I'm, yeah. I'm fine I don't, with I that. don't disagree with, yeah. This is, <laughs> this is not a book where I'm like, you're not true to the source material. Well, I did I did have... Well, you and I both know someone whose boyfriend at the time, like, didn't like this movie because it wasn't true to Cooper... And now that I've read the book, I'm like, oh, I'm glad they broke up. Yeah. That was really... And if he, like, does ever listen to this podcast and somehow put together that I'm talking about him... Maybe you should rethink your decisions, buddy. (laughs) No, I was going to say, like, he's... (laughs) I don't, like, wish him ill, but he was wrong about that. Yeah, he was very wrong about that. On this one, he was wrong. Yes. So, uh, (laughs) the film... (laughs) There's some nice vague booking on my podcast, (laughs) The film stars Daniel Day-Lewis, Madeline Stowe as Cora Monroe, Russell Means as Chingachgook, the titular Last of the Mohicans, Eric Schweig as the penultimate Last of the Mohicans, penultimate of the Mohicans. Oh, I messed that joke up. I'm sorry. Do you want to redo it? Yeah, but you're going to keep the one I've yeah, I am. messed up anyway. So. <laughs> Jody May as Alice, Stephen Waddington as Major Duncan Hayward, and Wes Duty. And um, also, FYI, Stephen Waddington was in Sleepy Hollow. <gasps> he was! He was the husband of the midwife. Yes, who they both lose they their both heads. Lost, well, a lot of people lost their heads. That's yeah, true. Stephen Waddington was also in a TV miniseries version of Ivanhoe. Right. Which um, Mark Twain also hated. Well, Mark Twain, I mean, honestly, he sh- we shouldn't trust his judgment. Let's, yeah. let's be real. But also in that TV, so this is a rabbit hole, but also in that TV version with Stephen Waddington was Kieran Hyde. I love it. Have you seen that? A long time ago. Yeah, it's been a while. We should long try and find it. And apparently, actually, there's an even older version of Ivanhoe that stars Sam Neill. <gasps> Should we do Ivanhoe? Oh my god, we need to do Ivanhoe. It'll probably take a long time to read it. Alright, I gotta start now. Okay. I bet Ivanhoe probably doesn't hold up. To finish this book, <laughs> I had to set daily page oh, goals. Oh, like you're back in school. Yes. So, I'm like, alright, I gotta read 36 pages today. We're never doing another Cooper. No. No, we're not. No. Maybe we'll give Ivanhoe a try. Mark Twain is on his own. Oh god, yeah. Has there been a good film adaptation of a Mark Twain book? I've enjoyed some Mark Twain writing, but is there a good adapt? Like, there's there was a um, Tom Sawyer film in the '90s starring Jonathan Taylor, Taylor Thomas. Thomas. I'm not sure I would say that was good though. No, um, a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. I didn't say that. All right. Uh, Dear listeners, 
Is there a Mark Twain adaptation that's worth bothering with? We eagerly await your responses. Yeah, because so far I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, ditto. All right, so, um, okay. So the characters are very different from the book. Um, and sometimes even directly contradicting yeah. the descriptions of the book. Like, there are a few things that I'm like, oh, they put that in there to just make Cooper mad. Yeah. Rolling over in his grave. So uh, we mentioned Alice and Cora. They're they're kind of swapped as the romantic leads. Yeah. Neither of them faints ever the Faint. whole time. I mean, Alice is still kind of like, eh, but she's so much Very better different. in the movie. Yeah. Hawkeye is the romantic lead. He's younger. He's hotter. He's got better hair. Oh, my God. He's so gorgeous. And he is the full-on adopted son of Chingachgook. Yes. He's Unks' brother. Like, he's been raised by Chingachgook since he was a very, very young boy. Um, Major Duncan Hayward is kind of a jerk. Kind of a douche, And honestly. he's Hawker's, Hawker? Hawkeye's rival. Also, uh, Hawkeye is Nathaniel Poe. Yeah. Not Natty not, Bumpo. No. Because modern audiences could not take that name seriously. I don't blame him. No. Um, there's no bear. Oh, thank God. And for better or worse, David Gamut is completely gone from Again, the story. thank goodness. So according to IMDb, when this film was announced, uh, John Cusack was listed in the cast, but the role was unspecified, and I will bet you money they had intended John Cusack to play uh, David Gamut before they Thank God they rethought the that. Yeah. Um, he would have done nothing for the story. Uh, <laughs> we were talking about this the other day, and my husband compared... Uh, David Gamut to Tom Bombadil mm, in Lord of mm-hmm. the Rings. And it's I remember like, that conversation And now. similarly, there was a lot of, like, singing and not progressing no. the plot. And then people were, like, up in arms when he was cut from the movies. By people, I think you mean my mom. I mean, no, it was, was not just your mom. Kiki, it was not just you. I swear. There, there were, like, other, two other people. There were other people mad about that. But also my mom was not happy. That's fine. You know. I would have... I was fine with it. So you David Gamut fans out there, sorry, he's not in the film. So the movie opens with gorgeous scenery, oh, gorgeous music, and three men who I have no choice but to describe as gorgeous <laughs> running through the woods on a deer hunt. The opening title refers to them as the last of a vanishing people because in the movie, Hawkeye has been raised as Mohican, yes. even though he is white. Uh, the hunt finished. Our three heroes uh, visit their friends, the Camerons, at their cabins. Uh, at their cabins? Cabin. New character um, alert. Yep. Yeah. Completely fabricated for the film, um, but it's a it's a lovely domestic scene. Um, mm-hmm. The adults are playing with the children. They're all joking about they have to find a Delaware wife for Uncas, and it's very, um, it's very homey and heartwarming. Yeah, and, and uh, you know this this idea that on the in the wilderness of the frontier, everyone is equal, and yep. the white settlers and the Mohican tribesmen coexist peacefully. And then the next morning in town, again, we see natives and white boys playing lacrosse together. And as someone who grew up in upstate New York, we take lacrosse very seriously. They did there as well. Um, So it's a very romantic vision of the cultures overlapping for mutual benefit. Um, And the disturbance to the peace comes in the form of a representative of the British imperial government. So the idea is white people and Native Americans could get along if only that stupid government shakes Stupid British um, and the representative of the British imperial government is a red coat played by a young Jared Harris yell acting his way through the scene. As you do. A loyal patriot. <laughs> Sorry, I just I love his line. He's just, he's, he becomes a much better actor later on. He does. But he just he just he just yells his yeah. whole scene. That's all he does. Yeah. I think he was trying to be like the complete opposite of his father at that point. It's quiet spoken. Yes. I don't know. Um, I don't know. They just his motivation was just be a jerk. 
represent the British government. Michael Mann was Go like, for it. Jared, could you yell that a little bit louder, please? I didn't quite hear you in the back. <laughs> uh, there is a story. Apparently, Michael Mann was a bit of a tyrant on set. I feel like he's that on all of his movies, quite possibly. though. But again, if you're to trust the internet, there is a story that they were doing all these overnight sh- scenes, sh- um, shoots for the, the scenes at, at uh, Fort William Henry. And at one point he's yelling like, what is that orange light? Turn that off. And one of the assistants was like, uh, that's the sun. Because <laughs> like it was sunrise. I can believe it. Um, oh, God. Uh, anyways, back to the story. So redcoats. Um, an absolutely stunning shot of a carriage driving over a red brick bridge. Mm. We meet Major Duncan Hayward, who has arrived to escort Cora and Alice Monroe to meet their father with the help of a supposedly Mohawk guide, mm-hmm. Magua. Before they depart, Hayward asks Cora to marry him. So that's the yeah, thing so here. Yeah, so Cora Alice. gets all the love in yeah. the movie. Which she's Madeline Stowe. Come on. Right? Why wouldn't you? Um, Cora says she's not sure if her feelings extend beyond friendship, but promises to think about it. I mean, that's nicer than she needed to be. Mm. They were about to, like, set on a road trip together. You don't want to have Well, he, that was poor planning on his part. And on her part. So they depart on their trip, accompanied by a battalion of soldiers. Once in the woods, Magua betrays them, and a group of Hurons attack with no warning from the trees. The soldiers are all slaughtered. Fortunately, Chingachgook, Uncas, and Hunk- Hawkeye... I almost said Hunkai, and I'm sticking with that now. <laughs> so Hunkai, Uncas, and Chingachgook stumble on the attack, and they save Duncan, Cora, and Alice, while Magua runs off into the woods. And um, Hayward is all racist. He's all... What does he think he's doing about Uncas? And he's like, guy, ask him yourself. guy's like, ask him yourself. Hunk Jerk. Guy. Yeah. Hunk guy. Um, I'm going to change all my notes now to say hunk right? guy. Right? Just, just uh, control F, copy, uh, find and replace. The three men agree to escort uh, Duncan and the Monroe sisters to safety, even though they were heading west away from the fighting, which prompts one of my favorite lines. When Hayward is like, how is it you are going west? And Hunkai says, well, you head north and then real sudden, like, you turn left. <laughs> he is so sassy. And Daniel Day-Lewis's delivery is it's just so, so amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so good. Um, and in a direct contradiction to the book, Hayward is saying, like, how is it you are doing this? All of our scouts are are being and Hawkeye says I ain't your scout which and in the book he's very much he is, their scout he is continually referred to as the scout yeah. so Hawkeye and he's like right I at, like, ain't your scout in the book in the very beginning he's like admittedly a member of the British of the militia and the army and stuff yeah. like that it's like no Hawkeye is a Mohican yes he's not uh, doing by adoption yep. that is where his loyalty he's lies. having none of that war uh, before they head off Cora, unseen, slips one of the dead soldier's pistols into her skirt pocket because skirts should have pockets. Yes. It's very important. F-Y-I. Uh, the three woodsmen bring their charges to Cameron's cabin to find that the cabin has been burned and the entire family massacred. Oh, it was so sad. It's really sad. Hunkai refuses to... I, uh, no. <laughs> now this really sad moment is... seems it's just not so sad no more. <laughs> I feel a little disrespectful. I know they would. So they would. They would appreciate this. Hunkai refuses to bury them, and he and Cora face off uh, with this disagreement. Later, yeah. he explains to her it would have put them in danger to leave evidence of their being there if the attack has returned. And sure enough, the Huron and the French War Party does show up, but because the Mohicans have decided to camp out in a sacred burial ground, the 
Hurons refuse to attack. So then Hawkeye and Korra have this like supercharged, <gasps> tension filled moment that's in a graveyard, right? Which is, you know, fine. Yeah. So they arrive at, is it William Henry? Is that the name of the yep. fort? Uh, they arrive at William Henry. It is under siege. Uh, Colonel Monroe is astonished to see his daughters because he had sent a message saying, send reinforcements uh, and daughters, please stay away. Well, of course, that's not the message that Magua delivered and they realize uh, the depth of his betrayal. So um, Webb doesn't even realize that Monroe is waiting for reinforcements. However, Webb is only a few days away, so they send out the messenger. That's, I think, pretty much the same from the book. Except that it's Hawkeye who's a messenger in the yeah, book. Yeah, in the but... film it's some random guy and Hawkeye is just... He's like um, shooting the shooting to protect him. Well, he's Hawkeye, uh, La Langue Carabine. So. Right. And my French there was terrible. It's okay. We won't judge you for it. Hawkeye tells Colonel Monroe about the attack on Cameron's cabin. Uh, General Webb had agreed that if the frontier was under attack, he would let the colonial militia go. But uh, Hayward contradicts Hawkeye's account. Because he's a jerk. Because he's a jerk. Douche. And so Monroe refuses to allow the colonials to leave to protect their families. Cora overhears all of this and at the first chance tells Major Duncan where he can stick his marriage proposal. Good for her. Um, and in direct contradiction, I feel like this is a, a, a nod to the characterization of the book. Alice is trying to sleep when Duncan comes in and she gets up and she insists that she refuses to be an invalid schoolgirl. Yeah. And it's like, nope, I can't sleep. I have to be useful. I have to help. Stop treating me like an infant. Mm-hmm. Go, Alice. Go, Alice. Mm-hmm. So the colonials have a secret meeting, questioning the validity of English law, laying a little revolutionary what? groundwork, because remember, we're 20 years before mm-hmm. the revolution right now. Um, a lot of the leaders of the American Revolution, as I'm sure you remember from history class, same, <laughs> of course, were veterans of the French and Indian War. Yep. So a group of them agreed to make a run for it. Hawkeye says he's going to stay, but he helps them escape. And the reason he's saying is for Cora. So then there's an amazing scene. The best oh music God. ever. The music. It's super intense and there is no yes. dialogue. No. It's just like the camera follows him and then he stops and the camera keeps moving and she's there and they're just staring at each other and they have sex with their eyes. Ugh. Amazing. And then <gasps> there's makeouts and smoochy faces and their hair is so good. And it's just, they both just have such great hair. It's just filmed beautifully. It is beautiful. Yes. Yes. It holds up. Anyways. <laughs> oh, I think I need a drink after that. Right? Oh, my mojito was out. Oh, no. So later that night, Hunkai is arrested for treason for helping the deserters. <laughs> and Chingachgook demands to know where they're taking his white son. And I just... Okay, so if you were adopted, like, at the age of two, so you do not remember your birth parents. So the only dad you've ever known is like, yep, that's my white son. Yep. I mean, what... Would that be weird? It would be. I maybe. Don't I don't know. Just asking. So, yeah. It's like, there's my son and there's my white son. <laughs> so, Hawkeye is imprisoned in the fort, but what's worse, the French guns have gotten close enough now that they can start blasting through the walls of the English fort. Um, the next day, the two commanders meet, and Montcalm shows Webb the letter from, or shows Monroe the letter from Webb saying, You're I'm not on your sending own. you anything. Sorry. Yep. Monroe has no choice but to surrender. The actor who played Montcalm was not in a lot of things, but I thought he did a really good job. Yeah, no, he was super creepy in French. Yeah. It was great. It's good. Um, so Monroe, Montcalm offers very generous terms. The soldiers can keep their weapons as long as they agree to return to England. The colonials may return to their homes, and Monroe will be allowed to fly his flag as they depart. But then that night, Montcalm, talking to Magua, says he had no choice but to let the English go. 
and he knows he'll have to fight them again, and so he's clearly dropping the breadcrumbs of what Magua does next, yes. which is not in the book. No. In the book, Montcalm's like, oh, I can't control that Indian guy. Yep. So the British leave the fort and start their journey, um, but similar to the book, uh, they're besieged by Magua and his Huron allies, and it is a slaughter. Mm-hmm. Um, it is unclear if there are any other survivors. Yeah, I don't think there are, honestly. It seems unlikely. But yeah. Cora and Alice are saved by Uncas, Hawkeye, and Chingachgook. Uh, Magua uh, gets Monroe, scalps him, and cuts out his beating heart. And then holds it up. <laughs> if you're into that kind of thing, sign up. <laughs> so, um... Our heroes escape the battle to the closest body of water, and I'm unclear if it's a lake or a river. I think it's a river. Is it? All right. Yeah. Uh, there, are com- there are canoes waiting there, so they get into the canoes. Uh, Duncan and another red coat that Uncas had saved are in the other canoe, and then there's a great um, canoe chase, which you don't get a lot of good no. canoe chases in no. films. Uh, they go over the waterfall, abandon the canoes to try and disguise their... Uh, um, path and they hide under the waterfall. It doesn't work, and the hero, the Hurons, follow them. Of course. Um, in desperation, Hawkeye, Chingachgook, and Uncas jump into the falls, leaving behind Cora, Alice, and the two redcoats to be taken as captives. Hawkeye vows to return, and this is the scene. This is, <laughs> this the is scene. it. The meme heard around the world. Oh, it's amazing. You stay alive. No matter what find occurs. You, no matter what occurs. And just and he's just soaping. You submit, soaping you wet. hear? <sighs> it's um. So I'll just take a moment and remember. Everybody else, scene. take a moment too. Deep um, breath. Also, uh, before they depart, there is a little moment between Uncas and Alice. She gets too close to the water, oh. and he pulls her into his arms, and it's like they don't speak a word, but just oh, oh there's something yeah. there. Yep. So gets me. Uh, Magua arrives and takes them all captive, except for the other red coat, who I guess he kills. He's the red shirt of the movie. He, there has to be one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they've got three captives. Hawkeye, Uncas, and Chingachgook race after them, tracing the path left by Korra, who's been bumbling into branches yep. to break And them. depending on which version you're watching, the music in this scene is different. Oh, really? Yep. So in the theatrical version, I think this is when the Clannad song is playing. No matter where you go. Yeah. But I don't. Th- I, I think in the director's you. cut, it's just instrumental. Yeah. No, there's a different song that they use for the chase scene, don't they? Yeah. I don't know which one it is, but <sighs> now I have to go back and watch the movie again. Right. Thanks, Sam. It's a hardship, I know. I know, right? So um, there is not the delay that there is in the book, nope. and they soon arrive at the Huron village. So Magua and his followers present themselves to the Huron elder. He offers the ransom money from Duncan to the elder, and he wants to burn the Monroe sisters uh, on the Huron fires. The Huron elder suggests that Magua has some issues he should work through. Just a few. And that he should take one of the Monroe daughters as a wife to cool the anger in his heart. And so that Magua's seed does not disappear from the earth. Yeah, Magua, you should really reproduce. Actually, my duty should reproduce. He's he a cutie. He is so cute. But he's terrible in this movie. But he's so, so cute. I'm sure he's a very nice person. I'm sure he is. He seems very nice. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, I was about to say something I don't want my parents to hear. Okay. Um, so Hawkeye shows up unarmed and presents himself to the Hurons. He asks Duncan to translate into French, since he doesn't speak it, and offers himself in Cora's place as a more valuable sacrifice. But instead, 
Duncan offers himself as a British officer, and the Huron elder agrees to it. So Cora is freed. Mm-hmm. Alice is taken by Mugwa mm-hmm. to perpetuate his seed. Yeah. And Duncan is bound and burned. Hawkeye and Cora leave the village as quickly as they safely can, rejoin Ankes and Chingachgook, and Hawkeye shoots Duncan to put him out of his misery. And then they chase after Alice. <gasps> so Ankes is all raring to go. He yep. gets ahead of the others. Uh, he gets in first, fights and kills several of Magua's men, but in hand-to-hand combat, Magua wins, killing Ankes. Oh my god, so sad. And Magua then looks at Alice and does like a, come here, come here, gesture with his hand. Like, come here, come here, man, come here. She's having none of that. She's having none of that. And she's like, I could come here or I could just kill myself. And she just jumps, steps off the cliff. She doesn't even jump. She just steps off yep. the cliff. It's so haunting. It really is. It's heartbreaking. Oh, the music again. Um, the others are close enough to see all this happen. Uh, Chingachgook and Hawkeye catch up. Hawkeye is shooting two rifles, like one in each hand, which... It's amazing. Is That shouldn't work. But it does. And then, like, as he's running, he, like, drops a rifle, yoinks one out of the dead guy's yep. hand, and keeps going. Uh, Chingachgook reaches Magua, uh, fights him in hand-to-hand combat, and kicks the ever-lidding crap out of him. destroys him. And so Chingachgook avenges his son's death, Ugh. which in the book... He's, like, he not really part do. of the battle. No, Chingachgook is not given enough... No. Like, Ankus really, like, in the book, takes center stage. Much more, especially yeah. in the second half. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end of the novel, uh, Duncan, Moving. Alice, mm, thank you, good You're catch. I was writing quickly when I got to this part. <laughs> at the end of the movie, Duncan, Alice, Colonel Monroe, and Magua are all dead. Yep. And in the book, only one of them dies. Yep. Uh, Hawkeye, Chingachgook, and Cora are alive. And Chingachgook is the last Still. of the Mohicans. Yes. And now it's time for some fun and games. <laughs> Sorry, that was a long one. Sorry, guys. But there's just so much to talk about for both of them. I do love that movie. I do, too. It is not perfect. No, it's it's flawed. It is romanticized vision of Mm -hmm. the frontier life. And it's nothing. I'm sure it was nothing like that. I think they do at least try to have a more fair representation of, um, for one thing, actual... uh, indigenous mm-hmm. uh, people play all of the um, Native Americans. It is, it's not like a perfect match. Like it's not, obviously it's, there aren't any Mohicans left. So mm-hmm. um, I don't remember. Oh, I can't remember the actual place. Russell means I can't remember his heritage, but Eric Schwag, I think is actually of Inuit descent. Yes. I believe. Um, so Russell means Cherokee, maybe. A lot of the actors are of Cherokee descent. Right. Um, and actually something interesting, again, if the internet is to believe, and when has it ever lied to me? Right. Um, the Native American actors in the film were all told to just speak their native language because then it would feel more natural. Mm-hmm. But that meant there are scenes where people were sp- speaking to each other in different languages and I had, had no, no idea, idea what the yeah. other one was saying. So it's like the Huron elder was um, Cherokee, but West Studi, I don't remember I don't remember now, but, like, he was speaking a completely different language. But they're, like, talking to right. each other. Makes sense. But, you know, but at least then they felt like they knew exactly. what they were saying. <laughs> so it at least, I think, attempted to be more yeah. true and to honor the actual heritages. Yeah, I'm sure they missed the mark in some places. Yes. But, you know, the attempt was made. And yeah. 
that is better than some other versions where it's like, and here's... Right. Here's how we think it is. And, and here's a bunch of white guys in brown yep. face. Yep. Anyways. So, fun, fun and games. games. Uh, let's do some heartthrobs and hairdies. Oh, who are your top three hotties, Sam? All right. Well, big surprises. Woo. Yeah, shock me. All right. Eric Schweig. Yep. Dana Day-Lewis. Yep. Dana, uh, Stephen Warrington. Yeah, you're going to go for Stephen Warrington? I did. I went for okay. him. I was going to go for West Duty, but I was like, it can't. Magua, no, no, I can't. No. If there's some Mystery Men, it would be West Duty all the way. Sure, absolutely. And but I wish Mystery Men was based on a book. Me but, too. Uh, no. Yeah, no. Um, so my hotties are very similar. Mm-hmm. Number one is Daniel Day-Lewis. Of course. Always. Always. Forever. Mm-hmm. You stay alive no matter what occurs. I will find you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, number two is Uncas, Eric Schweig. Yep. He doesn't yep. say a lot. No. But he oh, speaks volume so with his gorgeous. eyes. And number three is Jared Harris yelling, Patriot! <laughs> Loyal patriot. <laughs> Only when he says the word patriot. That's fair. That's totally fair. What are your There's top three very styles? Interesting role play in our. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's talk about clothing. Uh, okay, so number outfit number one. Uh, in the first scene with Cora and Alice, Cora is wearing this hat with a brown ribbon yes, and flowers and a yellow dress, and it's but especially her hat. Yeah, yep, fabulous. Yep. And then in the same scene, Alice is wearing a flora, floral dress, which mm-hmm. I just want yes. to have it. That's fair. Um, and then outfit number three is <laughs> Hawkeye's, quote, pajamas <laughs> when they arrest him in the uh, men's sleeping quarters. And he's he's just sleeping in, like, nothing. a loincloth. Yep. 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 That's, um, that's fair. I think that's a really good look. I like it. And, okay. <laughs> and I enjoyed it. Sam, what are your th- top outfits? Um, well, so the first one, shocker, uh, Hunkai and Unkis shirtless. Oh, that's pretty much the same <laughs> outfit as mine, isn't yeah. it? Yep. Uh, and then Cora's hat while she's taking tea with Duncan. That is the same hat. Same hat. It's the same hat. It's the same hat. Uh, Cora's striped dress while she's in the fort surgery. Mm-hmm. And then Alice's chase and death scene dress I thought was very beautiful. It's the gray with the florals. And yeah. Okay. All right. It's very pretty. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are, that's where I was. <laughs> Should we do some quizzes and questions? Sure. Do you have any questions? I have me? several. All right. So what animal skin would you wear to fool your enemies and amuse your friends? The skin of my enemies? Oh, ew. No. <laughs> no. The options are like bear or beaver or muskrat or elephant. What do you mean the skin of your friends? <laughs> Jesus enemies, Christ, Sam. Enemies. Same thing. <laughs> so another human. You're gonna you're gonna buffalo build. I'm this sorry, thing, but Sam? nobody would believe me in a bear suit. I don't believe you dress as another person either. <laughs> it's clearly Sam in a skin suit again. <laughs> All right. That's I don't like. I'm gonna pretend this question didn't happen. All right. Question number two. All right. Does Alice have narcolepsy? In the book, she passes out all the time. Um, I feel like it's a combination of narcolepsy and just anxiety. Sleep, <laughs> sleep triggered and anxiety triggered sleep. Yes. Interesting. Yes. All right. Because there's no other reason why isn't she it, just. Isn't it great that we live in a time where women are not made more desirable for their unconsciousness? Yes. Wait, do mm, we? I was just thinking about Supreme Court picks and maybe that's not true. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure that is not true right now. Ugh. Yeah. Set the world on fire. Yes, please. I have one more question. Do it. Okay. This is a thinker. Mm-hmm. What, if anything, do you like better in the book? Uncas. Mm-hmm. 
Well, not that I like Uncas better. I just like that he There's has more, more to do. Him. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Um, <laughs> that's it yeah. yeah pretty much yeah okay that was a stumper do you have any questions for me i do uh so i know we talked about this a little bit and like i know there's probably a, a reasonable answer but how on earth did the delaware elder get ostrich feathers for his diadem are they really bringing ostrich feathers to trade yeah of course feathers beads but aren't ostriches, like, from, like, so far away? Okay, Sam. Where are ostriches from? Answer that. Answer me that question. Australia? You don't even know. You're thinking of emus. But we don't have, like, ostr- ostriches aren't native to the North American continent, are they? I don't think so. Ostriches. I mean, I know trade is happening at this time, and that's probably what the answer is. Ostriches are from Africa. Africa. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I was on the other side of the world. Yeah. But still. So there's this thing called the triangle trade. From Africa, they're bringing humans who have been enslaved and ostrich feathers. They're in the same boats. They come to the Caribbean. They get rum. Then, they wait, no. They come to New England and they get the molasses. Then. And they just drop get, off the ostrich feathers. Then you get the money. Then you get the power. Then you get the women's. I may have I may have crossed my lines here. No wait. Uh, All right, we're just gonna move on. <laughs> the point is, it's not unreasonable that the Europeans would have had ostriches to ostrich feathers to trade. Is is my response to your question? It's fair. I think. What was the question? You got yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, my favorite non-character. Why is David Gamut there? Really. Seriously? Okay, here's a theory. He forgets about him for three quarters of the book. Here's a theory. James Fenimore Cooper um, was visited, was doing like a like a hike or something, and he and his friends came across the place under the waterfall, and they're like, oh, this is a romantic. Someone should set a story here. So Cooper wrote the whole book, partially inspired by this like location in the woods, right? Mm-hmm. I'm willing to bet Gamut is based on someone Cooper knew and did not like. Why would you insert somebody you don't like in a book? To mock them mercilessly. Sam, it's like you've never written anything before. Okay, but he doesn't. Really? Mm, He doesn't make Gamut look good. He should have killed him. If he really didn't like the guy, he would have killed him. Oh, yeah, that's true. And actually, Gamut does have that moment at the end when he, like, He's got a slingshot, and he actually manages to hit one of the yeah. guys with the rock. No, you're right. He redeems himself. He does. I don't know, then. Cooper's just a bad writer. All right, cool. I'm done with that. Moving on. All right, last question. Would you stay alive no matter what occurs? Yes. <laughs> until, you, until you found me, I would submit. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love that line. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right. It's such a good movie. Oh, it's so good. Oh, God. Is it time for some big awards, though? Oh. <sighs> yeah. I keep wiping tears of joy from my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, who does your Jeff Goldblum award go to? So, my Jeff Goldblum award goes to Jared Harris, <gasps> but only because now that I know it's him, I hear his voice as Jared Harris every single time. <laughs> Sam, what? My Jeff Goldblum award goes to Jared Harris's yellow acting. <laughs> We have the same Jeff Goldblum award! Yay! 
but specifically his yell acting. Oh, God. Loyal Patriot. <laughs> this he whole did. episode is just wiping tears. Uh, uh, Pete Postlethwaite, also. Tiny, yes. Tiny, tiny role. role. But you're like, is that Pete Postlethwaite? And right? It was. And apparently Cole Meany is in this movie, and I watch it and always miss him. Yeah. Where is he? I don't know. Ugh. But it's like, Wait, yeah. it wasn't one of the guys at Cameron's cabin also someone? Yeah, Terry Kinney. Remind me where we know him from? He was in Oz. Oh, I never saw that. And he was also one of the founders of Steppenwolf with Gary Sinise. Ah, a sexy Gary. Yes. There you go. Right? They do exist. <laughs> There's like two of them. Uh, what are your other awards, Sam? Uh, so my quippiest quip award goes to Hawkeye's left turn joke. <laughs> well, it's easy. You just face north and turn, turn left, left real sunlight. Yep. Oh, God. Um, and then the award for worst doctor ever goes to Duncan Hayward in the worst book. Worst doctor ever? Oh, yeah. No, I was trying to think of the movie. I'm like, I don't think he no. ever... Yes, yeah, in the book. The book. Yeah. <laughs> you had one job. You had one job to do. Mm. You didn't do it. Right. What are yours your awards? Uh, there's some more overlap here. Okay. Because my sassy bitch award goes to Hawkeye. <laughs> also, like, when... Um, they're talking about, like, are you going to come with us, Nathaniel? He's like, no, I got a reason to stay. And they're like, oh, does it wear a striped skirt and work in the infirmary? And he goes, yeah, and it's a sight better looking than you. <laughs> uh, who doesn't love a sassy, <sighs> sassy... God, he's amazing. Yeah. I just want to watch it right now. Speaking of which, the Thirsty Award goes to Sam. <laughs> like we're, we were watching the movie, and uh, at one point, Steve was like, do you want something to drink, Sam? Because you seem really thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, I was. <laughs> this this is definitely... I would say there's more of the thirst-inspiring uh, people. Yes. More hotties in this one than we've seen in a while. Yes, it's true. I did not experience a whole lot of thirst for Dracula. No, I mean... As discussed. I found him kind of Yeah, he was very off-putting. Even in his younger... Look at my long hair, my purple no, glasses. Because you know what? His face. hair was too long. It was creepy. No one needs to wear those stupid glasses. No. And what was up with his nails? Thank you. Oh, okay. God. No. And I'm you sorry. Know Hawkeye. He's freaking crying. Yeah. Just stupid crying. <laughs> I'm never going to get over that. No, we never will. No. Dracula's been ruined for us. Yeah, yeah, it has. I'm trying to think, like, what other episodes we've done recently where there was, like, just true thirst i mean maybe like miss pettigrew Bride. oh miss pettigrew there are some cuties in that yeah like lee pace we need to keep we need to pick more movies with cute guys in it and stuff yeah like, pretending we do to pick art films Ugh. that does that why do we like why do we keep doing that let's just watch the avengers films and just that's fair do that they're that's based on books sort of totally <gasps> i mean it's not based on a book but we should just talk about the uh, the bad times at the el royale and chris hemsworth's performance he was very good at that. he was amazing in that movie um and th- I did not, I will say, that movie was not without flaws. I was never sure what was going to happen next. Same. Like, it kept me on Every guessing. moment, I was like, like, and like, it was, yeah, I did not expect yeah. any of that. And it was, I liked it a lot. And I thought I all the performances it. were amazing. Mm-hmm. Even Dakota Johnson, I did not mind her. No, I think she might be a better actress yeah. than, uh... But um, a revelation was, and I had never, I had only ever seen her in Widows, but um, Cynthia Erivo... She is going to be playing she was, uh, Harriet Tubman. She was fantastic. Right? That's yeah. right? Yes. Yeah. She was amazing. I, and her voice, 
gorgeous. Yes. Yes, it is. Oh, my God. Yep. So I wish that was based on a book. Uh, me too. And I know, like I said, Avengers is not based on a book. I know that it's based on comic books. But, but we've it's it's too difficult to. Well, no, I think if we're ever going to do a comic book book adaptation, it has to be like a here is the comic book. Yes, like the Watchmen on, you, or something like that. Right, which I don't want to do. Watchmen. Oh God, no. Yes. Uh, uh-uh, uh, that's not or, an option. Um, Persepolis or something like this, where there's a clear. This is yes. The, I could even see doing like Batman Year One and Batman Begins because there's a clear like yeah connection, but as like, opposed to ins- loosely inspired by, by all of these different pieces of the story worth of yeah you, yeah know. like we could even like if we really want to torture ourselves we could do League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Huh. I mean, we could torture ourselves. I just think if we wanted to. <sighs> I'm not saying we do. I'm not saying You'd that's on to, the table, but... That's an interesting one because... I do enjoy the comics very much. I've actually never read that comic. It's good. But what's interesting is it is taking literary characters from other yes. books. Yep. Some of which we've discussed yes. in our podcast. Such as Dracula. Um, all right. I'm not saying no. I am saying someone will have to pay me. <laughs> it's not going to be Sean Connery, that's for sure. No. I have one more award. <laughs> And then we can move on. Uh, Lo- the Looney Tunes Award goes to James Fenimore Cooper. He's dead. So it's posthumously awarded. Very nice. And that's the end of my fake awards. Ugh. Nicely done. Whew. Whew. That was a lot. That was a lot. I feel exhausted. I wish I, I mean, had another mojito. But that was the last of the mojitos. <laughs> and it comes around full circle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Seriously, I'm out of lime juice. There's no more mojitos. That's it. We're done. Very nice. Oh, that was pretty much just melted ice. Yeah, it's all right. not fun. I guess it's time to end this. All thing. right. Um, all right. So uh, next episode will come with a content warning, unfortunately. Yes. yes. Um, we will be reading and watching The Hate You Give. Um, the novel was written by Angie Thomas, and she was inspired to write this after the murder of Oscar Grant uh, in California and um, her own experiences and reactions to his death. And then all of the Oscars, she called them as that followed, um, Trayvon Martin, Michael Eric Tamir, and all of those who will be next because we know this is going to continue on. Um, so this is going to be an extremely important topic for us to discuss, and we just want to recognize that we're not experts, and mm-hmm. but we didn't want to shy away from covering this kind of book topic either. I predict next episode might not be a laugh riot. Yes, correct. But um, having now read the book, I think it's good for us to balance our palettes. Exactly. And this is a really good one. Right. And we shouldn't do something just because we can't make a joke out of it. Yeah. But we're going to... We're going to try. We're going to try. Um, but yeah, so just before Warren, next episode will be a little, will probably be a tough one. Yeah. Um, but we're looking forward to it very much so. Yeah. Practice self-care if this is gonna, a difficult topic for you. Yes. We will catch you in the next episode. Yes, but exactly. Thoroughly recommend that you check out this book and film if you have not, if you can, because they are yes. well worth. Yep, exactly. And I on. feel like this is the kind of thing that we should all be talking about. Yes. So let's trigger some conversations. Yes. Speaking of which, let's spread the word about Adapt with Anna and Sam. Yay! It helps us out so much when folks rate us, when you write reviews on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, 
tell your friends, tell your coworkers, tell canoe enthusiasts that you know how that was a callback to when the I, canoe yes, race. Yeah, I got yeah. I picked up on that. I'm not sure about others. Uh, that's why I had to spell it out. That's fair. Uh, tell them all how great Adapt with Anna and Sam is. And get in touch with us. We want to hear from you. So send your questions, your comments, and your six degrees to adaptedwithannaandsam at gmail.com. Or post everything on Facebook. You can find us at Adapted with Anna and Sam. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Adapted Podcast. Let's keep this conversation going. Thanks for listening to Adapted with Anna and Sam. I'm Anna, and I wish Groundhog Day was based on a book. I'm Sam, and I wish The Frighteners was based on a book. Bye. Bye!